Hello, my name is Janice B. Gordon. This is Scale Your Sales Podcast. Welcome to the Scale Your Sales Podcast, listed number nine of 42 best podcasts for every sales professional in 2021. I am Janice B. Gordon, the customer growth expert, recommended by LinkedIn as one of 15 innovative sales influencers to follow in 2021. In this episode of Scale Your Sales podcast, my guest has 15 years of experience in sales from building teams, SDR teams, closing complex enterprise um, deals, growing companies internationally from French to dominate in the UK to US. But what I found really interesting about my guest was his real insight into sales psychology. He said, having worked at Mind Gym, he really understands and has always been very curious about the people he works with and is very much people focused. We had a really interesting conversation that is so insightful that you're going to love what we discussed today. My next guest is an expert in enterprise sales with over a decade experience under his belt, advising sales teams of names like Pepsi and Monzelis as a consultant. He then moved on to building revenue teams at Series A and pre-IPO companies. Building Flola from his own pain points in selling, he aims to reduce friction between buyers and sellers, and shed light into complex buying process. Please welcome to Scale Your Sales podcast, Alpa Yuda. Thank you very much for having me, Janice. Nice to be here. It's great to have you. Now, we met at uh, Timber Talks and you did a brilliant presentation. And I ran up to you, and I don't often run, uh, I ran up to you and I said how much I really enjoyed it. The, uh, the, there was certainly a lot of alignment in what you were saying about the buyer experience. So we're going to delve into that here. But first, I went onto your LinkedIn profile and guys, this is brilliant. His bio talks about um you, you know the background and I absolutely I, I literally read every single word you know often you skim but I loved it it really drew me in so um I really want to pick up on on that now five languages uh as while you're at university uh working for a Ritz Carlton sales team well that was a great experience wasn't it Yes, absolutely. I can't say it was my very first sales experience, but it was a great experience. It was the first. This was, oh, my God, back in the day, 15 years ago. Um, it was the probably the only time I was doing a lot of cold calls, actually, in my whole entire career. But I started sales uh, helping my father's um, construction business, um, helping him to pitch his business and create his brochures and stuff. But, yeah, my very first professional experience calling uh doctors in France to come and stay in Ritz-Carlton, which was an experience, definitely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So from working with your 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 father, did you think, I don't want to be on-site construction, <laughs> but actually this is, this is something I really enjoy. Was that the kind of first time, it may not have been formal sales when you thought, actually, this is the area I want to go into? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think it was embedded in me. I'm, I would be considered an extrovert, probably. I'm good with words. I like, I'm very curious about people. Like, I like getting to know people, understand their days. These days, because I speak all day, every day, I'm less keen on speaking about myself, but listening to what people are doing, their problems. So I also like psychology. I think there's that aspect of sales, which I enjoy. But with my dad, it was how he was building a case and he had no professional like sales uh, background or whatever, but he was trying to present his best self and how he's capable to help others through the equipments he builds, through the projects he's done with others. And it resonated a lot with me, like helping others figure out their stuff through a means. And that's what sales is for me, really. So you've, in your, your, your sales life, have recruited a lot and trained a lot of people and identified, you know, getting under the skin of, of really what their skill sets and how you can bring it out as a sales leader. So is that a core element, um, that kind of level of curiosity and understanding people and really wanting to get to know people? Is that something that you look for? Absolutely, I look for it. I think curiosity, both intellectual, but also at an empathic level. Um, so probably one of the most cringe um, experiences of both being in the seller and the buyer side is when there's someone talking at you, not with you or to you, not listening. That's an absolute no-go for me because it's it just makes me kind of cringe. It makes me feel really bad. This person is not really interested in me or my problems, but they're just trying to pitch their own thing. So I think curiosity comes with a lot of other qualities like being resourceful, being analytical and asking questions, asking the right questions, but with a good intent, which is I'm trying to figure out what your real problem is here so I can figure out if what I have is good for you or not and in what way. So curiosity is very, it's a very good indicator of other skills, I think. Yeah, yeah. So then, you know, with Mind Gym, Gym General Assembly, Whitco, your skills got bigger and bigger in terms of landing those real breakthrough deals in and helping like Whitco um, break out of the, the French market and into the UK and, and US. So, you know, your experience of complex deals, how does that work now you're in a startup organisation? How do you, you know, take that experience of, you know, more big company from a founder's point of view? Mm -hmm. Oh, that's a great question. I, I mean, I took a sabbatical two years ago and I decided after 10 years in sales and before that I had a career in consulting where I was advising sales organizations of like Pepsi, Mondelez, Unilever, that, those kind of things. Um, I said to myself, I enjoy being an employee too much. I'm always going to be an employee and never be an entrepreneur. <laughs> and as I said that, um, I found myself in a Series A startup where I was kind of the extension of the founder, almost being a founder, staying awake all night, every night, thinking about, OK, what are we going to do? First man on the ground, um, you know, building awareness and all that. And I said, I might as well do it for myself. And we had the idea of Flola from our own pain points in sales for a long time with my um, two co-founders who I know for 15 years. Stars aligned. So I decided to take the jump. Uh, I think so far, so good. And when the co-founders are there. The market is really ripe for something like what we're building. And you're building something to solve your own pain points. So you know it quite well. Probably nobody knows it better than you, what you're trying to build. 
when those things are aligned, I think um, it was a no-brainer that I should take the jump and um, leave my safety zone and become an entrepreneur. And it's interesting. Again, I, I read, you, you, you know, you say you're having the time of, of your life, like let's connect and join the sales party. Let's uh, have some fun and chat sales. It really seems that, you know, all of this has come together uh, from you, that you're, you're enjoying it after taking your two year sabbatical. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was actually a four-month sabbatical. I wish I had it, but <laughs> it was um, two years ago. And and afterwards, yeah, I mean, I, I it's so funny, like, how life takes you in different directions. You think you have it all figured out. Like, these are my three priorities. And that was also a time where I started therapy, which I definitely uh, recommend everybody to go through. And then you discover yourself, you do your soul searching, you decide on something, but then life happens and you're like, and after I decided to become an entrepreneur, all my friends, everybody who knows me, they were like, this is what you wanted all your life. I'm so happy for you. And I'm like, really? You guys probably know me better than I do. <laughs> I, I, so there's a few things I want to pick up on. And um, I was on I was being interviewed for another pod, podcast, um, Big Rick's podcast. And we were talking a, a, about therapy and talking about the the real macho in environment in 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 sales and the words I, I i people on the podcast have heard me talk about the toxic nature of the words that we use in sales crushing yeah. i remember a, a sales guru emailed me about being on the podcast and said i hope you're crushing deals no killing it i hope you're killing it and i emailed back saying i'm not killing anything you know and and so you know this is the environment you've been brought up in but you don't seem that kind of personality um, <laughs> so I suppose the question is, you know, how, why not? <laughs> why you're not that kind of personality? And, and you know, what do you feel to that type of language and, and words, but still love the sales environment? Oh, wow, that's a great question. There's still things we love from that world and we can take and adapt, I think. Um, but I think inclusion really matters. Um, you know, when... I used to work at MindGym and, and we used to run a lot of psychology based trainings. And that was, you know, I was trying to work with banks and organizations where toxic culture is quite prominent and trying to change the culture then. And, and one of the things that was really cool for me to learn was just create awareness in the other person, because we all at some point in our lives feel excluded. We all feel like sugar. Um, we all are put into that position of, you know, um, in groups and out groups and all of those kind of toxic behaviors. It's not like there's always a victim and a perpetrator, but I think we all go through those things. And it's important that we all realize. So what was the last time you excluded somebody? How did that make you feel? Um, there's research that shows that it's, it's the same kind of physical pain that we feel when we're excluded in an environment. So the, the, the reason I keep going back to that exclusion is I think those kind of language create in-groups and out-groups in teams, which is ultimately detrimental to the overall success. Uh, resilience, strength, those are really important skills in sales. And I'm don't get me wrong, like it's not for everybody. You know, you have to be tough. You have to be tough in that your psychological um, state has to be um, quite stable. Uh, but we're at the end of the day, we're all human beings. And at some point I go through bad days. I don't feel like working for two days. I, I feel like taking a walk or whatever, whatever. So those things happen to all of us. 
at the end of the day, what's important is to build resilience and strength, but not to confuse that with um, just misogynistic stereotypes of what strength is. Because, you know, if you think about that, like women are, are probably because of what nature have turned women into uh, with birth and like everything that you, you guys have to go through every month. That's strength there, you know, like going going to work in that kind of pain. I, I didn't think we would be talking about these things in the podcast. Sorry, but you, you make yeah. me think because those um, those um, values need to be recognized um, in a more aware way, and we shouldn't say like just being macho is is strong. It is not. It's it's quite the opposite. Sometimes it's just to shadow something or to hide something. And you know, there's a lot of bullying in the culture because we accept this this these kind of this language that 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 we use and uh yeah i'm like that i do bring out the uh a different kind of conversation which yeah, is yeah. great <laughs> like that conversation even more so <laughs> yeah well do you know what i was thinking when you were talking oh my god how did you get to be so wise because when you oh. talked about oh you know the 15 years i'm thinking gosh I, he doesn't know how old i am you know it's kind of double that really in, in but yeah, it's just you. I find you very insightful, and I think I'd be running up to you again after just landing what you've you've just said. So, uh, so let's talk about uh, Flola and yeah. why now. Um, what the where you think the real gap is that you wanted to fill? I know it came out of your own background, but you may have experienced something, but you often have to educate other people <laughs> on this gap. So tell me more about that. Yeah, I think if, if for people who are in sales, uh, in revenue roles, whether it is like actual selling front office, uh, sales rep or client success, marketing, all of those roles, there are certain things that we feel because we all work together as a team. So some of the pain is felt by everybody um, more to a certain extent and less by others. So in sales, you know, we all feel the pain of being ghosted. We're all trying to create engagement. We're all trying to figure out, you know, how we can sell better, more, right? Those are things that are top of mind for everybody. But doing that is really complex and difficult. You know, an average deal might include 100 emails, 50 stakeholders. You're trying to bring together different people from IT finance in, in one on one page. So you're trying to build consensus from that very first contact onwards. Long story short, it's very painful, very difficult, very complex for the seller. Well, you know what? There's research that shows it's even worse for the buyers. And I always think about, you know, some of my worst buying experience where I am having to chase the salespeople for the right information when they're overwhelming me with all the wrong information. So there's research that shows that actually like 80% of buyers will um, suggest that the experience of buying for them was either too complex or too painful in the last six months of buying, especially for B2B. All of those reasons led me to think, okay, if there is a bit of a nebulous problem here. So how do we sort it out? Like for me, it was one single link where the buyer and the seller can come together. They have more visibility, more transparency, more collaboration. And more importantly, no one feels as much left in the dark. There's hand-holding from each, each side. There is holding to account for it from each side. And what it means is, of course, it improves win rates and it helps you to um, unblock stalled deals or progress the deal from one stage to the other. Because while... Um, you know, your buyer is um, 
being spammed by a hundred mails in their inbox and not checking the critical information that you shared with them, they're going to chase you back in three weeks saying like, why didn't you send me that? And you'll be like, I actually send you that. Da, da, da. You know, all of that. Mm. So let's, let's figure all that out. So how does it work? How does that happen? Because you've got a hundred stakeholders on, on one side and um, so there's one portal where all of that information is disseminated mm-hmm. and you can view what they see mm-hmm. and what they're spending time on. Mm-hmm. And so if you've got new people, the information is shared. Can you also view that as well? So yes, just give me the kind of logistics of how it all works. Yes, I can talk to you about Flora, but I think for any salesperson, the takeaway should be here. What you need to start recognizing is it's no longer 2010. of sales actually happens when the sales rep is not in the room or not engaging with the buyers. 85% of sales, there's Gartner research that that shows 5 to 17% of um, a deal's time is actually being spent with the salesperson. So everything else is happening when you're not in the room. So your champion is trying to pitch your narrative. Your champion is trying hard to figure out information. They're trying to not look bad with their stakeholders when they're making a buying decision with you as opposed to others. Because six months ago, they bought from a competitor and, you know, adoption was zero. So now they're in the spot and they have to figure things out. So in summary, there is three things that we figured that the buyers want. If I can, very simply, those are, we call them three A's. Availability, autonomy, and authority. Those are what the buyer wants. And you have to keep that in mind. Should I go a little bit in deep? Yeah, yeah, please. Okay. So availability is this no longer withholding information from the buyer. You know, if it's pricing, if it's case studies, everything has to be available um, because your buyers will not progress. Um, I have a lot of SDRs who complain about ghosting and outreach. And whenever they can engage the buyer, the first thing the buyer asks is, can you send me some information on this and that? They want all the information even before taking a meeting with you. So why are you withholding information during that sales process? One. Two, autonomy. As I said, they don't want to depend on the salesperson, so they want to do things at their own time, own pace. And three, authority, which means buying, as I just mentioned, is a risky process. There's risk involved. Um, There's fear involved for the buyer. So what you need to do is to make sure that your champion builds authority with themselves about your product, about your solution, and then with the other stakeholders when you're not in the room. So in order to enable those things, you need the three selfies, (laughs) which is flawless um, what, what Flola provides. And those are, you need to provide a self-paced buying experience. You need to provide a self-served buying experience. So everything is in one place, one single link. So your buyer is not lost. And you need to provide a self-empowered buying experience, which means your buyer feels empowered to be able to pitch your narrative, your product when you're not in the room. So you need to uh, provide them with the documents, the assets, the conversations, Q&A, telling links, e-signature, whatever it is, all in one single link. That's what for, uh, Flola does for the buyers. So I can imagine that um, the SDR, the salesperson, is nervous about this because they feel they're losing control. Now, you mm-hmm. and I know sellers have no control. It's the buyers <laughs> that have all the control. So, But it's really hard for salespeople that have been in the industry for a number of years and even sales leaders as you know uh, you know they're down to all the KPIs and measuring and numbers and you know tracking activity 
So how do you sell this into a traditional sales organization where they feel actually you're giving away all of their levers that they feel that they have in order to control their deal? Hmm. I would ask them, what's the alternative? What's happening? Like, what's their reality? Because I think if you're not a monopoly in this market, I mean, all I see is everything is very available. Technology is easy to build, especially like, of course, there might be industries where those secrets and like withholding things can can be beneficial for both parties. I wouldn't say that it's withholding. Probably the best better way of saying that is giving a visualizing buying process for the buyers. Let them see at what stage who needs to do what. Because after a lot of calls, we are both lost in both parties saying like, okay, whose um, court is the bowling now? What am I supposed to know, do? The salesperson will go, oh, it was an excellent call. They'll buy in two months. Whereas the buyer is thinking, oh, probably he'll share something with me, whereas he already did, right? Or the salesperson is asking for the next demo, et cetera. So my question would be, how is the process for you now? Because there's a lot of noise. Every market is very competitive. There is 20 competitors for every product. So if you're not providing them, um, the um, you know your your competitor will be providing them and they will win. It's actually what's happening with some of our users at the moment. We have clients who use us for a variety of reasons, but one of them, for example, realized that um, selling their um, uh, tool, which is like an onboarding tool, is quite a complex process for both parties. And if they could improve the way that they sell, therefore the buyer buys in a better way, they could actually have a leading edge. And that's what's happening. Now, their buyers are feeling empowered and they're buying more of their product because they don't have to go to the uh, competitor um, who uh, who's providing those things um, uh, flexibly, availably or, or transparently. So that's that's the world that we live in now. You know, you, uh, the, buyer, the seller no longer has that kind of monopoly over the process. Right, right. So at the top of that is really understanding your your buyer and and helping companies to really nail their customer profiles and the personas. So is that something that you help the organization with or is that something they need to do first? How do you highlight this is such a critical aspect of the of the business? Oh, that is such a great question and it, we are in the process of doing that obviously we're uh, we're a startup so for us it's figuring out like you know uh, who is the right icp who is the persona and i think the only way to stand out in these days where you know it's very competitive budgets being slammed etc um is to know your client better and better and focus and focus and focus you know rather than diversify diversify which might be the strategy which people generally go with so what we try at Flola is to understand our customer profile better. We have a very close relationship in terms of, we don't call it client success, but client happiness. So we, we try to make sure that, you know, our clients are happy. They're giving us the right feedback. We're building together with them. Even more importantly, how our tool, for example, has been helping us to do that from the get-go is after every call, uh, we will send a follow-up flow to our clients um, with a few steps, which will explain what is Flola, who else uses it what for what. Here's a Calendly link. You can book another call with me. Here's the payment link if you decide to pay for it, et cetera, et cetera. All in one link. So we eat our own um, dog food, obviously. But one thing which is really critical, especially from the get-go, I realized is because I get the insights, I get to see what people are looking at. When we aggregated the data of around 500 flows that we shared, it was quite clear that people were checking anything that is about pricing, and anything that's about social credit. 
So because sales, is, as I said, like fear is a big part of buying. So fear of missing out is there, but fear of also like sucking at your buying decision is there too. So a lot of people want to feel reassured that other people are also using Flola, that this is a legit product, that it is safe, et cetera, et cetera. So then we double down our, on our social um, um, social credit uh, or social proof kind of um, uh, material, which meant that we could engineer it for our ICP even better. And in doing so, there are some verticals that, sh that shape up for us, like HR tech, ed tech. Um, those are really big uh, users of Flola. And the way we approach those clients' problems was understanding what they're interested in more and more. That's interesting. So now you have the data to back that up as yeah. to what this, this vertical is more interested in yes. and why. And also comparing the different verticals as, as, as well. Really interesting um, data and insight. Yeah. Wow, we've, we've covered a lot. So I'm just going to uh, ask you what one because we've covered so much. There's so much information. And in fact, I'm going to get you on again uh, at some point. <laughs> so what tried, because I'm learning from you, which is amazing. Oh, it's it really, so I love it. I love it. <laughs> you too. I'm learning from you a lot. <laughs> so what tried and tested strategy would you offer listeners in order to scale their sales? Oh, wow. Oh, that's a tough one. Each their own, but I think one thing that I've learned, and my co-founder and our CEO Adam um, is really good at this, and he's been a kind of a helper for me or mentor, is to really focus, which is really the hardest thing. You know, I want to do everything all the time, all at once, like the Oscar-winning movie. <laughs> I think a lot of people are doing the same thing. So for me, it's really hard to just say, okay, I'm gonna do this thing this week. And I'm just going to do that. It's really hard for me. But if I were to do it all over again, I would probably try to stay focused, nail one thing. And one thing that I realized with a lot of uh, companies at every stage is they try to hire people to save them. I've seen it at Series A, Series B, D, post IPO. Everyone's always looking for a savior. Um, and I'm always looking for a savior, just like everybody else. But I realize you're going to save yourself. So you need to figure out things before you hire somebody. You need to figure out what you want to achieve with them before you hire somebody. So try to get a crack on things. I didn't use social media so extensively. I didn't really know much about marketing um, before starting Flola um, so, or, or, or tech, uh, you know, the engineering side of things. Building a product, it's the very first time I'm doing in my life. I'm lucky my co-founders, it's their whatever fourth, fifth. Um, but those are things you need to learn, take, uh, get a crack on as a founder first, and then you hire somebody. I think that's a really interesting point because it's the mistake. I'm a um, an advisor on an accelerator program mm -hmm. and always, always founders want to um, hiring a salesperson, which is often the a disaster. Yeah. They have no idea what, what sales is and they have no idea what the salesperson should do. And they pay an absolute fortune for someone that is well established in a larger company yeah. that doesn't have the skill set to actually work with it in a startup and create a process. So it's a disaster. Um, so I think that's a brilliant point as, as a founder. You've got to you've got to go through the learning curve yourself before you can teach someone else to do it. And also sales is different depending on what industry, who is your ICP. It's not one sales process. It's going to be uniquely different for you and your buyer. 
And yeah. so you have to learn what that is. You know, what is the model? What is the benchmark before someone else rinse and repeats it? So I, I, I totally agree with you. So if you're on a desert island, Alpa, on your own, because lots of people cheat here, on your own, what will be the one thing you take with you? I mean, I, I, it, it's probably a silly thing to say, but I would take my phone uh, for a myriad of reasons. Um, but for music, probably, if, if there's no reception. If I have a second answer, I, I will say my ear plugs really helps with the sleep. And I imagine there will be a lot of noise of wild animals and crickets and stuff. So I want to have my good sleep um, in the desert island. I want to have my, uh, yeah, those plastic uh, silicon things so I can sleep. Yeah. That's right. right. Okay. So sleep. You're going to sleep through your desert island. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Until I'm saved. <laughs> You're so chilled, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to sleep through it until I'm saved. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Probably I will have to save myself there too, you know. Well, yes, exactly. But I'm still what hoping did... for a savior. <laughs> what did you say about eating your own dog food? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I did. So how can listeners get hold of you, Alpha? Of course, the best way is probably I'm on LinkedIn all day, every day, just like every other people in, in sales and revenue roles. Um, so my LinkedIn profile is Alper Hjordorf. Uh, you can get a hold of me. I'm on Instagram. I also have a micro blog um, called Aegean Stories, like the Aegean Sea, where I blog from Greece and the Mediterranean. Um, I We're a remote first company, so we try to you know travel and be in warm places other than London, which is home. And uh, so you can follow me there too uh, for some uh, travel advice. <laughs> Excellent. I'll put all of that in, in, in the show notes. So thank yeah. you so much. Remember, this is not this is the first of many. Thank you so much for being a guest on Scale Your Sales podcast, Alpha. It's been an absolute pleasure. My pleasure. The pleasure is all mine. It's been a great fun chat. Um, you make it so easy for your guests. So thanks for that. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Scale Your Sales podcast. If you like this discussion, feel free to listen to other episodes or watch the caption show on YouTube and subscribe to future episodes. I would really appreciate it if you would leave a positive review on iTunes. Thank you.